Good morning, good morning. We have a lot to cover this morning, um, so I'm just going to jump straight into it. Uh, I just want to say welcome, first and foremost. We're so glad that you're here. Last weekend, uh, we had a packed house, and Austin kicked off our, our new series called Human, and really this is a, a three-week sh- series, a, sh- a shorter series, where we're looking at Genesis, and we're looking at really the human story, the story of all of us, and we're going back to the beginning, and we're learning more about who we are and specifically how we come alive. And Austin did such a great job of taking us back to the beginning and showing us something that I didn't necessarily grow up hearing a lot, especially in church. And this isn't a, like a, a knock at every church, but truly I grew up hearing about how, how bad we are and how sinful we are. And that's part of the human story, right? It is. But I wasn't aware of, until I got older, I was looking at the, the creation account, I'm like, wait, when God created, he said it was good. And he said over and over again, it was good. It was good. And he said, it, it was, it's very good. And we see at the beginning of the human story that God spoke goodness over his creation. And that's the starting place. And I know every good street preacher, their starting place is usually not that, right? Anybody ever been down to New Orleans, you've been on Bourbon Street. No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand, right? I'm not trying to, not trying to oust you just like that right here, first two minutes of church. But uh, if, if you've ever been anywhere in a crowded city like that, there's usually a street preacher that is standing there, and they're saying, repent, or you're going to go to hell. And I'm just like, wow, man, like, what is your name? It might be nice to introduce yourself first, and I get it. I, I, I respect the passion. I do. I really do. Um, I do believe there are lost souls without Jesus and we need the gospel. But the starting place is goodness. And we see that there was a fall. And because of that fall, we see that we need redemption and we can't come to life on our own. We need something to bring us to life. And that's the gospel message. And even as we're getting ready to jump into this week feels like the, the, the nuts and bolts and the, the practical kind of steps of who we are as human beings and, and why God created us. Before we get there, I just wanted to give everyone a disclaimer in the room. Um, I don't want anybody to hear this message this morning and think that, that we just need to just try harder. That is not what we're preaching. That's not what I'm saying. It's not that we just need to try harder. Um, without the gospel and the hope that we find in Jesus, no amount of effort can save us, ever. It's the gospel that saves us. And it's because of that reality that we then have this ability to put forth real effort empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's just a disclaimer I wanted to share um, as we get ready to jump into this. And now let's jump into it. As I was reading through Genesis, just over the years and over all my time in the scripture, I just had this revelation when I looked at the beginning of our, our story as human beings. And I came to the, this conclusion, and this is from the word, that we as human beings, we only get to, do, to truly decide three things every single day when we wake up. We get to decide three things, and we see this in scripture. We're gonna spend our time unpacking this from the word together. But as human beings, we only get to decide three things. And what those three things are, and if you're taking notes, we're going to literally unpack these three things for the next 25, 30 minutes together. We get to decide what we worship. We get to decide 
who we walk with, and we get to decide how we rule. Rule, as in authority, rule. I don't know why I have such a hard time saying that word, but um, we see this in the beginning. Worship, walk, and rule. And I wanna look at this together and unpack this because we learn a lot about ourselves as human beings when we look to God's word. It says in Genesis chapter two, verse 16, we'll start there, it said, the Lord God commanded the man. He said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, many of us that have grown up in church, we know this story. We know that they were not, Adam and Eve were not supposed to eat from the tree of the forbidden fruit. And if you didn't grow up in church, like I didn't, and you read this story, you think, why, I mean, I thought, why would God do this? Like, have you ever told your kid not to do something? And then what do they do? They, they go do it. And if they don't go do it, what are they thinking about obsessively nonstop? The thing that you told them not to do. And so when I read this, I was just thinking to myself, early on in my life, this almost seems kind of cruel. Why would God do this? And the older that I got, the more that I realized, I'm like, hold on a second. This is actually amazing that God created the world, created everything in it, and created human beings, and literally was like, you have access to everything, freedom, but not that tree, just that one tree. And when I read that story now, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing that God would do that for Adam and Eve and for humans in general. But then I processed a, a little bit more, and I'm, I was just thinking practically, but why did God do that? And we see at the very beginning, if God didn't do that, then Adam and Eve wouldn't have even had the potential to worship. Think about this with me for a second. Since the beginning of time, we see that human beings were given the potential and the ability to choose what they worshiped. And I like to imagine that every day when Adam and Eve were doing whatever they wanted in the garden, that when they walked by that one tree, they would, they would be reminded that, hey, this is an opportunity for me to choose my allegiance today. This is an opportunity for me to live out what God has asked of me today. This is my opportunity to worship. And even as I was thinking about that word obey, that word obey for a lot of us, my, my, my wife is this way, like sometimes I'll just joke with her and I'll just tell her no, like the most arbitrary things. She's like, hey, will you unload, unload the dishwasher? I'm like, nah. And she, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? I'm like, nah. And she looks at me and it's not even the fact that I told her no, I wouldn't unload the dishwasher. It's the fact that I told her no. It just, it's a trigger word for her. It's so funny. Oh, I'm gonna be in trouble today, but it's all right. But we don't like to be told no as human beings. We don't. And we see I'm losing my train of thought. I gotta get it back together real quick. Um, sheesh. If humanity was never given the choice, and if they didn't have the potential to say no, 
then the potential for love wouldn't exist. And this is, my, the thought came back. We look at that as obedience, which it is. We look at that as God saying, hey, obey me, which that's, that is it. But here, let's take it a step further. What if it's the Lord saying, trust me? That sounds a little bit better than obey me, right? Trust me. Just trust me. Trust me, this had to happen because if this didn't happen, you wouldn't even have the ability to know what love is. Trust me. This had to happen because if you couldn't disobey me, then true worship would never exist. It wouldn't even be a thing. And so we take it from obedience to trust, and let's take it a step further. Love. Love. And really, this is what the Lord is saying. I love you. And I'm giving you an opportunity to experience what love is. And I just want to be loved back. That's what happened at the very beginning. And that's what worship is. If God wouldn't have wanted us to have the ability to worship or to experience love, he could have just created robots. If he didn't want humans to be able to turn their back on him, then he could have just created robots, but he didn't do that. It would be like this, this, this young woman who spent most of her life dreaming about the perfect man who would fulfill all of her deepest desires. And she spent her youth dreaming about this. Not just dreaming about her wedding day, but dreaming about the, the journey that she'd be on where she would meet the man of her dreams and he would come alongside her and they would build the life that she had always dreamt of. And then she gets married. And then she learns about all of his quirks, his habits, his hangups, his hurts, his past trauma, what, all of it. And she starts to wish and hope and even pray that God would soften this man's heart and make him into the man that she knew he could be and that she always dreamed of. A man that would do what she asked the first time that she asked it. A man that would show her half as much affection as he shows the dog. A man that would care less about football and more about her passions. A man that would miss out on hunting season just this one year to go on that family vacation. Newsflash, young lady, this man doesn't exist, won't exist, and if he did exist, he would be a robot. We don't get to amen. <laughs> Hear that, honey? Amen. <laughs> you guys are like, dang, I'm fired up. I want every sermon to be like this. Here's the disclaimer for, for, for ladies and gentlemen. We don't get to remove all the bad habits. We don't get to remove the quirks, the hurts, the past trauma, the hangups. No, but you know what we do get? We get to experience love as we learn to trust God with our spouse, with our friendship relationships, and even with our very own self. That's what we get. Just like we cannot control anyone else, just like we can't control anyone else, God chose not to control us so that love could be experienced, so that we could actually worship. And what is worship? Worship is whatever you choose to obey. Worship is whatever you choose to trust. Worship is whatever you choose to love.
That's what worship is. So my question this morning is, what are you worshiping? Who do you trust? Is God the center of your worship? Because if he is, then there's freedom that will flow from your life and your heart. If he is, you'll stop trying to desperately control all of your circumstances and even the people around you or even the people closest to you. What do you worship? Every day we get to wake up and decide that. Just like in the garden. Every day we get to wake up and decide that. Now I wanna move on to Genesis chapter three, verse eight. It says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love this language. It says that the Lord God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And I told you, all of this was, I had this revelation just reading through Genesis. We see that we get to decide who we worship. And I'm also aware of all this language of walking, walking. We see that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And then you read just a couple chapters later, and we're not gonna actually turn there in our Bibles, but you could make a reference to it if you want. In Genesis chapter five, verses 21 through 24, it says that there was a man named Enoch who was a descendant of Noah. And if we know anything about Enoch, and if you don't, this is what you need to know. It says that he walked so faithfully. Enoch walked so closely, so intimately with the Lord. It says that he didn't even experience death. He just went to be with God because he walked so closely with God. And so I was confronted with this language of walking and then you read the New Testament and you see that the disciples would walk together. That's all they would do, they would walk. And in this context, in this period, in the, in the Jewish culture, to walk with someone, it meant that you had an intimate friendship relationship with them or a mentor-mentee relationship. So if you know anything about the rabbis, the rabbis were Jewish teachers and they taught Torah, they taught God's law and they taught you the way of life. And if you ever wanted to learn from a rabbi, you would go and walk with that rabbi. And it says that you would follow the rabbi so closely as to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And the disciples, not just Jesus's disciples, any disciples of any rabbi, they would spend every hour of every day with their rabbi. So we see this language of walk, and to walk with means to have friendship with. It means you're learning from one another and doing life with one another. It also evokes this picture of partnership. When you walk with someone, it's a reminder that you're on the same team, that you don't have to go at it alone. It's also a reminder of what we were created for. We see that we were created to worship and we see that we were created to walk with. And what that means is to have a relationship with, to have a friendship with. We're not supposed to do life alone. We weren't created for that. Even in the beginning, God was not alone. He never has been. It's not his nature, it's not who he is. Did you know that? A lot of stuff growing up, as I've tried to make sense of my life and just life in general, a lot has not made sense. And you may have heard me share this once before, but 
when I realized this, it kind of changed things for me. There are countless resources that say more than anything else, in this world, connected relationships are one of the most important things that we could have as human beings. My question is, where does that come from, right? I always ask that. I'm like, hey, if this is true generally of every human being, this is a general consensus, where does this come from? And even to kind of prove that this is true, I have this, this uh, research project that was done to demonstrate the reality that we were created for connection and friendship. So uh, Pastor John Ortberg, who is a, a pastor, he's written a ton of books, and he lives in Northern California, and he tells a story about a research project on relationships, and it was called the Alameda County Study. And he wrote, headed by a Harvard social scientist, it, it was a social scientist that did this experiment, they tracked the lives of 7,000 people, so a good amount of people, over nine years. It's a pretty good chunk of time. And they were, it was later in life. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. And so this is a social experiment that they tracked the lives of 7,000 people over 10 years. And they saw that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die early than those who had connected relationships. And here's a quote from Ortberg himself. He said, based off the study, people who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol use, but had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but were isolated. In other words, it's better to eat a Twinkie with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Everybody from Mississippi said, hey, come on now, let's go. That's what I love about this state. They said, this is the most generous state when I moved here. I was like, come on. They also said, this is the most obese state when I moved here. I was like, let's go. I love to eat. I'm not trying to be trivial. I'm just saying, seriously though, isn't that the truth? I mean, I wouldn't say like, let's all just give up our health journey, right? But what's more important here is the power of, of human connection. It's friendship. It's relationship. It's being known and knowing. It's essential to who we are. It comes from our creator. We were created in God's image and likeness. So it makes sense if this is a general consensus for every single human being, even the introverted ones, we need one another. Where does this come from? And there's a good chunk of scripture here I wanna show to you where this comes from. In John chapter one, verse one through four, it says, in the beginning, and this is the beginning of creation, was the word, and the word was with God. So we have the word, and the word being with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So we have God in the beginning. We have God's word 
being made manifest and taking on flesh and becoming God's son. I'm, I'm not promising to make complete sense of all this with you right now, but I just want you to see this. I want you to apprehend this, not comprehend it. I'm not even gonna pretend like I can comprehend the Trinity right now, right? That is, it, there's some mystery to that, but check this out. Now go back to the beginning in Genesis. Genesis chapter one, verse one through three. In the beginning was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God, so we have God in the beginning, and then we have the spirit of God, was hovering over the waters. And that word hover, it means flutter. It means like a dove. So we have God and the Holy Spirit. And then what does it say? And God spoke everything into existence that is in existence. And in John, what does it say about the word of God? It says the word of God was put on flesh and made manifest as the son of God. So we see in the very beginning, I've, I told you, I'm not, if your mind's spinning and it's going over your head, try to apprehend this. Even in the beginning, you see God, his spirit, and then his word, which his word is his son, Jesus have always existed since before the beginning of time. And if that's true of God, that God exists in relationship, then it must be true of his creation that we are to exist in relationship. Amen. Three people got it. All right. That's about all I can do right now. I'm sorry. So my question, if we know that we were created for friendship and relationship with God and with others, my question is, who are you walking with? Who are you walking with? If you feel like your life is lacking purpose, may I suggest that it might not even be because of what you're doing professionally. It might be because of who you're walking with personally or maybe who you're not walking with. Who are you walking with? If we're not walking with anyone, you know what happens is we live in isolation. And Austin mentioned this last week. The most damaging thing happens to us in isolation, shame. Shame grows in isolation and in secret. God didn't create us for that. And so maybe you're not walking with anyone. Maybe you've been living in isolation and maybe you have friendship relationships, but truly you really haven't let anyone in so you actually still feel like you're isolated. It's called crowded loneliness. Or maybe we're walking with people, but maybe, and this is hard, right? And I know we're supposed to love everyone, but maybe you're walking with the wrong people. Maybe you have let some people in, but truthfully, they aren't the right people to tend to your heart, to help you grow in Christ. Who are you walking with? Who are you walking with is one of the most important factors for not only determining our future, but determining our quality of life. Who are you walking with? We see that we were created to worship and we were created to walk. We can't forsake those two things. And now I wanna move into the third. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. 
so that they may what? Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This is the third thing that we get to choose every single day when we wake up. Who do we worship? Who are we walking with? And the third one is how are we ruling? I know it's kind of a funny thing to think about, but just go there with me. We were given the ability to rule at the very onset of creation. We have this God-given innate authority within each one of us. It's who we are. But here's my question. How are you utilizing or wielding that gift? How do we learn how to wield the gift of authority? And I say wield because if we're not careful, that can be a weapon that is used for destruction. When in reality, it's supposed to be something that we use to create beauty and to bring life. And we don't have to look around to see that us left to ourselves and the world around us, when people are given too much authority and too much power, we see the destruction that comes from that. So how do we learn how to, to wield that gift? By being under authority. That's how we learn how to exercise authority, by being under authority. How many people like being under authority? You're not gonna lie, right? You're in church, thank you. Not one hand was raised. <laughs> but how good is it for us to be under authority, especially when it's godly authority? I think about the, uh, the best sports teams in the world. If they don't have a good head coach, what's gonna happen? They aren't gonna do so well. I think about my best examples of love in my life as a kid. Maybe I didn't believe it at the time, right? But they're the, the, the authority of figures that held me accountable. In order to gain wisdom and to be able to give advice, we need to be under authority by seeking advice from those who are ahead of us. That's what discipleship is. When you boil it down, that's what it is. It's learning from those who have gone before us and it's learning for those who will come after us, amen? Do you want to leave the world a better place for those who are coming after you? Yes. How do you do that? You learn from those who have gone before you. Don't resent the authority in your life and if you don't have any, find it as soon as possible. One of my favorite authors, his name's Don Miller, and he wrote a book called Father Fiction that came out years ago. And it's kind of a book that really, he changed the name of it, and so people really had never even heard of it. But he talks about what it was like to grow up without a father figure. And he has this quote in his book, and he says, I have learned to avoid authority figures who aren't submitting to anybody themselves. What good is the wisdom of someone who has no one speaking into their life? And I would venture to say that not only is it not good, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to submit to authority figures that they themselves have no authority over them. 
that is dangerous. There's a reason that Paul, the apostle, who wrote over half the New Testament, he writes consistently about believers and how they are to live, how they are to rule, how they are to exercise their authority. And he says many different things. He says we're to, we're to shine bright like stars, he says. He says we're to be content. He says we're to be loving. We're to live without grumbling, Paul says. To not be divisive or to cause division, and especially in the church. And Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, he quotes a proverb by a Greek poet named Menander, and he says this. We're all familiar with this. He says, bad company corrupts good character. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul says, bad company corrupts good character. And he's saying, be careful who you walk with because of how they rule, because of how they exercise the authority that they have. And when Paul writes this, he's not even talking about unbelievers, although we, we have to be aware of that. He's talking about the people within the church. He's saying there are false teachers within the church who are exercising their authority in ways that are not honoring to the Lord. And he says, be careful, because bad company corrupts good character. And this blows my mind, because I think we all have to admit that Christians can be the worst at times, we can. We can claim to be so spiritual, right? I, I have met people that can, they, they, they're so spiritual and they can speak in tongues, but guess what? As soon as you turn your back, they might be talking about you. I'd venture to say that you're probably not that spiritual. And maybe instead of being able to speak in tongues, we focus on how we're actually using our voice to speak about those when they're not present with us, amen? Amen. And I've experienced it in the church, and I've been a part of it myself, because guess what? This is a human dilemma. This is something that every single human being struggles with. I will catch myself, myself sharing things, and I might say something negatively about someone, and you know what I'll say? Oh, well, I have to give you full context, because that's what a good leader would do. Pfft, come on. So now I'm not claiming spirituality, right? I'm claiming leadership. Well, it's good leadership. It's not. It's not. If we are using our God-given authority to be divisive, to gossip, to slander, to tear other people down, and we claim we're doing it in the name of Jesus, whoo, Lord, bring me some authority that can speak into my life, Amen and then give me a heart that's humble enough to receive it. Amen. How are you ruling? Are you using your God-given ability and authority to create beauty in your life and in the lives of the people around you? Or are you using it to tear things down? Are you wielding it as a weapon? And here's the kicker, church. All of these things are connected. We can't short circuit the way that God created us. And even as I look back on these three things, we see that we have to look at them in order. It starts with our worship. That's what it starts with. And then after that, it moves into who we're walking with. And then after that, 
we get the awareness to see how we are ruling and living out the life that God has called us to live out. And this is what we need to do. We need to take inventory. We have to get real with all of these three things and how we are choosing them every single day. And I just wanna give us kind of like some check engine lights as we get ready to close here. We need to look at these three things and decide what we're gonna choose when we wake up. So the first thing, what do you worship? And here's, here's my, my check engine light. Is there more anxiety in your life the older you get? You're like, yeah, isn't that normal? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. And if there's more anxiety in your life, you're probably worshiping yourself or others. And I know this is hard to hear, right? This is hard to hear, but hear me out. We know we're worshiping our, ourselves when we're obsessed with trying to control every aspect of our life and trying to provide security for ourselves and those closest to us. We know we're worshiping others when we're obsessed with how they perceive us or their opinion over us. And we look to them as if their words are gospel over us and they're not, they're not. Remember, God has already spoken over us and he spoke goodness over us. And so when you worship Jesus and when the gospel has taken root in your life, there's peace that fills your mind and your heart. That's how you know you're worshiping the Lord. Second, who are you walking with? Have you been living in isolation? Do you feel lonely? Well, maybe you haven't been walking at all, or maybe you've been walking with the wrong people. I heard it said that a good friendship is, is not like magnets, right? We think of like a good friendship or even a good, a good dating relationship. It's like this, this attraction. Oh my gosh, I just love her. She's everything I ever dreamed of. You're like, hold up a second. Y'all haven't been dating long enough. Because a good friendship relationship, a good dating relationship, a good marriage, it's not like magnets, come on now. It's like sandpaper. This is what I heard, heard it said. A good friendship has a way of sanctifying you, making you look more like Jesus. And we'd be lying if we said we didn't have some rough edges. Are you walking with people that can speak into your life, that can help hold you accountable? Are you rocking with people that just entertain gossip? They don't even entertain it, they partake in it with you. And then the third one, how are you ruling? How are you ruling? And I just had this conviction. I know a lot of us think, well, I'm doing my job, right? Like I'm, I'm doing enough, I'm doing my job. And I just wanted to tell you, if you're a believer, doing your job is not enough. Doing your job is not enough. Are you loving your spouse like Jesus has called you to love your spouse? Are you helping to disciple your family like God has called you to help disciple your family? Because remember, doing your job is not enough. How are you ruling? Are you serving 
in the church in using your influence and your ability to widen the reach of the body of Christ? How are you ruling? Now remember, we need the gospel in order to truly live this out. And I don't want you to hear this message and think, well, shoot, I got some work to do. <laughs> that might be true, but guess what? You don't get to go to work alone. You have the best helper and guide that any one of us could ever have. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I feel like I'm leaving all of us at a cliff. And I'm telling you, please come back next week because we're gonna look at how the gospel changes everything and makes this a reality for us next week. So don't go home and be like, all right, I just need to try harder. No, you failed if you do that. You can go home and be like, wow, I'm aware of a lot of pain spots and work that I need to do in my heart and my life, but I'm excited to get to learn how I get to partner with the Lord in that. Okay? Amen. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us and convicts us. God, I pray that first and foremost, that we would be reminded of the reality that every day that we wake up, we get an opportunity to worship you. That this is a relationship, one that you're calling us closer and so, Lord, just like you put that tree in the garden to demonstrate your love, I pray that we would look at the things that you've called us to, not as a burden, not as simply an act of obedience, but it's an opportunity to trust you. It's an opportunity to be loved by you and to love you. And within that, God, I pray that you would bring people around us to walk with, to do, to do life with, that would edify us, and may we be that person, Lord, that would use our influence to draw the hearts of those around us closer to you. And then lastly, God, show us how we're using the authority that you have given us and help us to use that to build beautiful things in this life. And so right now we just reflect on your character, on your nature, on who you are, and we praise you for that. It's in your name, Jesus, amen.